What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We are joined this morning by Scott Morris of the Vallejo Sun. Scott Morris covers policing protests, civil rights, and far-right extremism. We're going to get some updates in Vallejo. Good morning, Scott. Hey, good morning, Kat. Good to, to hear your voice. It's been a minute. Scott, before we dig in, talk to my listeners about the Vallejo Sun. What kind of reporting uh, do you all aim to do? Uh, we do a lot of reporting on Vallejo. Um, you know, we, we've been publishing. Um, we started out just doing a lot of investigative journalism and regular beat reporting on the local government up there um, and, and on the police, uh, schools and housing and keep up with those issues as uh, best we can because it's a lot. Um, but we've actually expanded that. Um, we're doing more arts coverage now. Um, we're talking about events in Vallejo. We've got uh, new contributors that are um, pitching in um, investigations, uh, and there's a, a lot of good stuff that we're putting out. Um, you know, every, almost every day up there. I would agree. A lot of good stuff y'all are putting out, Scott. I think you know that I'm a survivor of intimate partner violence, and so this article tweaked me a bit. It's called Solano Nonprofit Executive Lived in Domestic Violence Safe House Rented from the City of Fairfield. The organization in question is SafeQuest. Who are they and what kinds of services do they provide? Yeah, SafeQuest um, is an organization that uh, provides services for um, victims of domestic violence and rape in Solano County. Uh, And, you know, they've been around for a long time. They've been a player for about um, 40 years. Uh, and, you know, one of the key things that they do, and I, I believe that the early o- only organization that's really doing this in that county is uh, offering um, safe houses for people that you need emergency housing because they're sa- uh, escaping domestic violence situations. Um, so if, you know, you have to leave an intimate partner violence situation, and you um, don't have nowhere to go because, you know, you live with that person. Uh, this is somewhere that you're supposed to be able to go you know, with your children potentially and and have a safe place to stay um, for, you know, a few nights, maybe a week, something like that. Not, nothing very long. Typically, these these visits are very short. Um, you know, there's other things that they do. They, they provide advocacy, um, you know, in police interactions and things like that. Um, they're supposed to be uh, they, you know, if, if the police are involved in a situation like this and somebody needs an, an advocate in, in interviews and something like that, you know, this organization is supposed to be able to send somebody along, um, in addition to, uh, other smaller tasks, like maybe like taking somebody grocery shopping, providing transportation, um, just, you know, some of these little tasks that might be difficult, um, when you're escaping a situation like that. Who is Richard Bruce Pascal Jr. and what is his relationship to SafeQuest? Um, so since uh, I believe late 2019 or so, uh, he has been um, SafeQuest business officer or a business consultant with the organization. Um, and, you know, his role is kind of defined as fairly vaguely in the budget reports I've seen as providing um, he, uh, advice about um, growth of the business or making sure that services are being um, administered appropriately. And he is, uh, you know, and and kind of just general um, business consulting needs, I guess. Um, and yeah, he's a, he's an attorney. He's based in Dublin. Um, and I, as far as I know, he still works with the organization. And not a survivor of DV that should be living in a safe house, but he was, correct? 
Yeah, not as far as I know. You know, I'm I'm not aware <laughs> of the man's personal history. Um, but uh, I do know that he was, uh, you know, working in this role with this organization and um, starting in about 2020, um, according to multiple people, uh, former employees in the organization, uh, some documents that I've reviewed, complaints that were sent to OE, Cal OES, the Office of Emergency Services, um, Mr. Paschal was living in a safe house rented from the city of Fairfield for $1 a year. Um, this was effectively donated um, to the organization for the purposes of using a domestic violence safe house. Um, and, and again, the the people, the advocates that have been working there actually been were told in late 2019, um, according to the people I've interviewed, that they um, were closing that safe house because of a plumbing issue. Um, and uh, they left. The survivors left. They went to a different safe house in Vallejo, um, and uh, you know, and and as far, they were told that the the house was shut down. Now, um, about a year and a half later, um, the person, uh, the former employee who I interviewed, who told me that they had left the, that safe house, um, said that they were going back and they were doing some yard work and things like that. And as they're standing there doing, um, you know, sweeping the porch, I think. Um, uh, Mr. Paschal comes out and she says, she's really surprised. She thinks this house is empty. And she says, what are you doing here? Um, you know, and he says, oh, I live here. Uh, and and the information that I've received indicates that this was going on potentially from the summer of 2020 to um, sometime in early 2021. Uh, the incident where he walks out of the house was in March 2021. Um, that's the last that I'm aware of him living there. Um, why he was living there wasn't really clear. I actually got Mr. Paschal on the phone at one point. I asked him what it what it was. He he got pretty defensive. He said, uh, "Who put you up to this?" And then and, and he said, um, uh, "Well, you know, it had to do with the COVID shutdown." And then he asked me for questions. He never said he didn't live there. He didn't say he did live there, but he wouldn't say he didn't either. Um, and then uh, he asked for questions of writing and ended the phone call. Key word in what you just said, Scott, is COVID, right? So we we who follow this issue know that incidents of domestic violence, intimate partner violence, escalated pretty dramatically uh, during the pandemic. Um, what were the numbers inside of Solano County? What was the need during the time that Richard Pasquale was in Richard Pasquale was in that house? Um, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but like you said, everywhere. Um, saw an uptick, and and you know it, when lockdown orders came through in March 2020, uh, there there was an uptick in uh, domestic violence just all over the world. I, I think that there was a report I cited in the article that's that called it a um, shadow pandemic of domestic violence that was happening um, everywhere, and and so um, and and the same was true in Solano County that there there was definitely an increase in police calls about this. Um, in the in the first few months of the pandemic there. Um, so this was there, there was certainly a need for these kinds of services. Um, and uh, you know, it, it to say, uh, look, to, to say that it had to do with the covid shutdown is like well, like that you know, the employees I spoke to said that it happened at the end of um, that that this place had been closed since the end of twenty nineteen. So actually before covid is when they they supposedly closed the safe house. Um, and then, it's you know and and to just shut down these kinds of services because of the pandemic um, seems to ignore 
you know, the larger need. And and frankly, like SafeQuest was actually going in grant fundings and arguing about this larger need during the pandemic to get more money. They said that the, their services mm. are more needed than ever um, because of, of these statistics that we're talking about, that this had been an uptick in Solano County and around the world. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's kind of have it both ways. This is we're not providing services because of COVID, but also, um, you know, we need more money because of COVID. What about other safe houses that SafeQuest runs? Were they full or empty? How many approximately do they own or lease? Um, yeah, so this they have this one in Fairfield, and they had another one in Vallejo, um, and then um, they had one in Benicia, which, as I understand it, was shut down early in the pandemic. Um, and so the the main one um, after you know this one closes in twenty nineteen. Um, is is they're operating the one in Vallejo. And, um, you know, at first, uh, the people who had been in Fairfield were moved to the one in Vallejo, about 10 people or so. Um, but, like, they, my understanding, um, what I've been told for former employees is they kind of dropped off. And then, um, basically, like, from that point forward, there was only one person there, and there was a person who was living in this house permanently, which, uh, as I described earlier, is kind of highly unusual, that this is typically a very um, transitory kind of, place um and, and so the, the they uh, two former employees that have been working the safe house say that they effectively were working there alone that there was this one person that lived there permanently they kind of kept to themselves and then there just wasn't really a lot of survivors coming through um and then um one woman i interviewed um who only who only worked there for a month um before she resigned because of these kinds of issues um you know, she said that uh, she she was working in this house um, alone during the days, um, and she only took in one survivor during that time. That there was a, a rape victim that she went and picked up to the hospital and brought their in, them in for one night, and that was basically all she did for a month. But she also said that, you know, they were um, turning people away during this time. That she documented and and showed me her notes that the ten different people had called in looking for help, and at least seven of them were told that the shelter was full, even though she'd been sitting in an empty shelter for weeks. Any response from SafeQuest themselves, Scott, or city officials, like maybe Fairfield? I mean, if I was Fairfield and I was renting out a house for a dollar a year, I might not be too happy that it wasn't being used for what it's supposed to be used for. Yeah, um, and SafeQuest, declined to answer any questions we sent them extensive questions about this ahead of publication um and and they decided not to answer at all um fairfield um i i had some back and forth with them about this uh and you know eventually uh they they had been somewhat aware of these issues i don't think that they necessarily knew that this person was living there but they also knew that the house was underused there they were given statistics that showed in the first six months of 2021 only two people stayed in a safe house that they've been renting for a dollar a year so um they were aware of that they were aware that it really wasn't being used at all in that context um but they still were proceeding with a release renewal uh decided um, not to proceed with that after the somebody in the city council started asking some questions about it. Um, but at the same time, they never actually proceeded with getting a new provider. So SafeQuest is still in there on a month-to-month lease at this point. All right, Scott. Uh, we are going to move on uh, to Vallejo, where on in the early hours of Tuesday morning, Vallejo PD shot someone. What do we know about what happened? 
Um, not a ton at this point, but there was a burglary in progress, allegedly, at a gas station. Um, and uh, Blapley said that when they arrived there, there was kind of people running out of the gas station um, into cars. Um, one person got into a car and uh, allegedly drove it towards um, one of the police officers who ended up on the car's hood uh, and then um, shot the person who was driving, who then crashed into a building across the street, was arrested. Um, police say that wounds are not life-threatening and um, that he'll be charged with burglary when it's over. Um, one thing that hasn't been in the um, Vallejo Police press statement so far is that there was, um, uh, in the scanner traffic for that night, it sounds like there was also a pursuit that started at the same place. Um, so it, it seems that there was multiple cars leaving the scene. Um, police actually chased that one down to, um, across the Carquinas Bridge into the Hercules area um, and, and uh, a residential development down there, uh, kind of chased the guy into a field, not really clear from the audio, from what I've heard, um, that they uh, ever found this guy or arrested him. Um, but that was part of this story, too. So it was pretty chaotic. There was a lot going on there that night. Where my head first went is where you end your article, where you mentioned that this shooting is the first involving VPD since the murder of Sean Monterosa in June 2020. Murder is my word, not yours. Um, and, and, and you also point out, rightly so, that prior to that, they were one of the most notoriously corrupt and violent uh, police departments in the country. And there'd been long time organizing on the ground. I mean, folks had been pushing and pushing and pushing with no headway. What do you think changed with the murder of Sean Monterosa? Um, and, and what is, what is the energy around organizing around police accountability in Vallejo right now? Yeah. Um, there's a lot going on there and the, uh, you know, I, I think that the, Sean Monterosa was for for more than a year than Vallejo police have been getting a lot of like national media attention for being as violent as it's really starting with the murder uh, with the uh, shooting of Millie, Willie McCoy. Um, they, uh, you know, there'd been there'd been a huge amount of attention in Vallejo, and then of course in 2020, you know, everywhere um, kind of blew up with uh, protests over George Floyd, um, and so. Sean Monterosa is shot in that context, right? Like, and in, 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 this is days after the George Floyd protest has started. Um, this was when, you know, there was kind of uh, a lot of um, break-ins that were kind of these roving uh, groups that were were breaking into stores in this really organized way. And, and um, Sean Monterosa appeared to be one of those groups that was breaking into a Walgreens that night. Um, and and uh, the as as the police were just pulling into the parking lot, they shot through the windshield and killed him. Um, Sean didn't have a gun. They said that they thought he was, you know, kneeling in this tactical position. But then, I mean, there was huge backlash to that. Um, you know, they the the Department of Justice opens an investigation of Vallejo, um, and um, it, there's there's all this pressure on reform. Uh, and they had brought in a um, a new police chief, um, kind of after Willie McCoy, who was supposed to be working on this reform. And um, so, you know, for a while, uh, there there was no shootings by Vallejo police officers, which is really unusual. Like in, in um, from 2020 until 2023, there just isn't any. And um, you know, I don't think. We've we've poured over these statistics, and in, in at least 20 years, there hadn't been a year a, a stretch of like that right. where nobody had been shot. Um, you know, the police chief kind of got forced out late last year. Um, 
yeah. and the the police union um, was was really antagonistic with him. Uh, and um, another thing that'd been going on is that the the department was just depleted. Like there, there there's uh, there's just a lot fewer officers right now. Um, and so. Uh, you know, one effect that that has is that they like, for example, like last year, um, there was a, a man who um, w was kind of walking around having a really hard time with saw blades um, and Vallejo police didn't respond to that call for, I think, more than an hour. Uh, and um, eventually they called the Solano County Sheriff's Office and who shot and killed him. Um, so this is a situation where police just aren't responding. Vallejo police were, just weren't responding to things. And then um, you have an outside agency that comes in and ends up um, doing a shooting there. So, uh, you know, the reasons for that are, are, are complicated. But, um, you know, at this point, uh, there, the, a lot of the reform efforts have kind of stalled out right now. Um, there was the, the city was supposed to be putting in place an auditor. They didn't. Mm -hmm. There's a police commission um, that's bogged down. There's a, there's a police commission ordinance that was passed, but it's also bogged down with negotiations with the police union, what exactly it's going to look like. Um, and so the, the, this reform structure just really isn't put in place right now. And what's going to happen from here, it's really hard to say. Right. And I don't ever want to talk about Sean uh, Monterosa without shouting out the organizing work and passion of his sisters, Michelle and Ashley, uh, who have been on the ground in Vallejo, working pretty hard. All right, Scott, I am basically out of time, but really quickly, Salmonella in all three Solana County jails. Real, give us a, a synopsis of what's going on there. Yeah, last weekend um, there was an outbreak. A lot of people in the Solano County jails, it's about um, there's three jails up there. They uh, house about 1500 people. And um, a lot of people started getting sick, nausea, diarrhea, um, fevers, that kind of thing. Uh, turned out it was probably salmonella. Um, there's one kitchen that provides food for all three jails. So that seems to be the culprit in this case, that they're they getting the poisoning from the kitchen. Um, you know, interesting note is that the sheriff's office at first told me only 15 people were sick, but that was um, 15 people as of yesterday. Uh, last week, there was, um, you know, at the peak, there was 117 people that were sick. We had to clarify that in our article. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was a lot more people than they were first letting on there. And, uh, you know, they, they say they've got it under control now um, and that, that folks are getting better there and that they're quarantined and uh, has been lifted. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was a, a pretty nasty outbreak up there. Yeah, and I think important to point out that it's Trinity Group Services that provides food to all three of those jails. They um, are an, a, an organization that provide that's their thing, that's their niche. They provide food to jails and prisons, food, I'm saying in air quotes, and they're involved in lawsuits and scandals across the country. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Scott Morris, I've got to leave it there. Thank you so much for coming on L&D. Hope to have you back soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.